Welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Before we jump into our program, I'm going to remind you of conversations like this, which we're about to have about the academic power in the black church and the meeting of the University of Baltimore and black churches in Baltimore, uh, is brought to you by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you. Money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. A few weeks ago, was it a month ago? A month ago? Yeah. yeah. About a month ago. I had the pleasure of uh, emceeing a certificate program uh, being given out at the University of Baltimore for something called the Baltimore Faith-Based Development uh, Program that is part of the Schaefer Center for Public Policy. And it's literally, and and being funded in part by the Enterprise Foundation, who were going to be here today, but he couldn't make it, um, uh, that is a program that brings ministers of African-American churches into the University of Baltimore for this program to work on plans on economic economic development. We've talked a lot in this program in the last 20-some years about the economic power of the black church, the economic power of churches in general, but the economic power of the black church in Baltimore and what unleashes that economic power in a way that can transform this city. This is a program that's attempting to do that. One of our regular guests here, uh, who has been a guest on the show many times over the last nine or 10 years, is the Reverend Heber Brown, who is one of the people who received that certificate uh, in, in, in his church, I mean, in, in the program. So we're going to talk about that program today and talk about what that power is, what people have learned from that program, and more. We are here with Reverend David B. Franklin, who's pastor of the Miracle City Church, uh, who gave one of the uh, commencement addresses at the uh, uh, at the certificate program? Good to see you, David. Welcome to the studio. Good to have you in house. Great to be here. Dr. Ann Cotton is director of the Schaefer Center for Public Policy, and good to have you in the house. Thanks. Great to be here. And Lisa Hodges, Esquire. Lisa Hodges is program instructor and principal of Hodges Development LLC, and has been named director of the School Centered Neighborhood Investment Initiative. And Lisa, good to have you in the house. Thank you. Good to be here. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. Write to us here, talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Uh, you can uh, also uh, jump on our Facebook pages, but do call in at 410-319-8888. Many of you had lots to say in the past about the black church, power, and money, so now's your time to come and join the conversation. So what's the genesis of this program? Who should grant that? Anne, Lisa, where, where do we go? So, Lisa Hodges. Yeah, so Enterprise Community Partners started the Faith-Based Development Initiative in 2006. I think uh, David Bowers, who's the uh, vice president of the Mid-Atlantic region, saw a trend with... At um, Enterprise, right? At Enterprise. And he's also a minister. He is also a minister. Right, right. Um, so given that background, and then also given the background of seeing that a lot of churches in D.C., where they're based, um, owned a lot of property, um, prime property, but really didn't have the skill set to really leverage the ownership of that 
property, didn't have the know-how to be able to access capital or professional development services. So they started a program where um, you know pastors and their leadership learned about develop the development process. They provided um, $10,000 grants with a 25% match from the House of Worship um, to do things like market study um, and to do um, pre-development funding, and then also matching these houses of worship with enterprises suite of um, loan products really provided a, an excellent match. They've had um, graduates of that program in D.C. who have developed um, properties in conjunction with hospitals that have done affordable housing projects that are stellar. So um, about so last year, um, we started the program with University of Baltimore. We got we began to um, have a critical mass of churches that we were involved with, giving them pre-development grants. Um, and so we we found that everybody was having similar issues. They didn't have access to capital. They didn't have the know-how. So rather than um, provide them technical assistance on a, on a case-by-case basis. We partnered with University of Baltimore and uh, President Kurt Schmoke, my fellow Harvard alum, mm-hmm. was very receptive and, and really got behind this idea. Um, so we're really just grateful that we're able to deliver this course to really follow up the work in D.C. and develop a cohort and a group of folks in Baltimore that uh, really have the know-how to deliver these um, programs. Thanks. Add to that, Anne? Yes, it fits really well with the mission of the University of Baltimore to bring the knowledge of the university community out to make knowledge work. And it's knowledge that works is our slogan. And the Schaefer Center was proud to partner with Enterprise Community Partners on this initiative because we believe in building capacity in the nonprofit and in the government sector. And this is an important way to build capacity and helping the churches. And not this program isn't just open to churches, by the way. It's open to all of faith organizations in in the city Mm -hmm. and really help them take the assets they have and get critical skills they need to leverage those assets. And it's, I think, a wonderful partnership. We have an opportunity to have students from our law school come in this year and provide some assistance and some training, and we're looking forward to expanding that as we come up next year. We want to add to this before I throw in some questions here, David. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, thanks again for allowing us on the show, uh, Mark. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of churches, uh, as as my own, who have had great ideas, but taking those ideas and turning them into reality is a challenge. And so what this program did is it came alongside us and said, hey, you've got a vision, and we want to let you know how to operationalize mm-hmm. that vision. And so, you know, not only through going through the class, but they provide you a technical assistant um, who comes alongside you and says, okay, all right, this is what you're learning in class, but I've done it before. So I'm going to help you navigate the ins and outs to actually bring this idea to reality. And it's been nothing but a, a blessing and a benefit for Miracle City Church. So one of the things that happened that the, the, when we were at the ceremony was that churches presented their ideas and then were critiqued by a panel that mm-hmm. kind of pushed and, and really was a critique. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. wasn't just a softball speaking <laughs> right. There were serious questions asked about the plan. What uh, is it economically viable? Mm-hmm. Which I think is critical. So I mean, obviously, what, what I walked away from, what I walked away with from that morning, um, uh, is this question of what is the power of the church to help redevelop churches, redevelop the city? I mean, the city's in a crisis. In many levels, right? Because mm-hmm. when you have a majority or plurality of people living in Baltimore City uh, who are struggling just to make ends meet, can't figure out where to whether to pay the rent, 
to what you have made of transportation. Do I have money for food at the end of every month? And that's a reality. I mean, the, the as I said, either plurality or majority, depending on how you look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, Ninety-five thousand households in Baltimore are at risk. And if you multiply that number by two or three or four or five, whatever the number is per household, and no one's done that study yet, then you're talking about a lot of people in the city. Um, and people say that the that people have always argued that the that historically in America, that the especially in the black community, that the black church is where the, the one of the few institutions where economic power has resided. It's changing a bit. Other things are growing. You know, brown capital. Other things are happening in Baltimore that are different from the past. But that's a reality. So what do we think is that vision? What do we think about what that means in terms of what comes out of programs like this, but in terms of what the future may hold, in terms of how we reimagine what this city can look like? Yeah, so for, for us, you know, we, we I, I personally see, I mean, you mentioned what happens, what has happened and what is happening in Baltimore. You, you also didn't mention the population decrease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk about the murder rate. You know, I right. think it's one The middle class population decreases. Yes. It is mostly white, but also black middle class leaving the city. Correct. Black right? middle classes are leaving as well. So, you know, you, you, we can talk about murder rate. We can talk about the, the systemic ills. We can also talk about where Baltimore is strengthening and it's uh, downtown and on the edges, mm-hmm. but where the development dollars are not going is right in the center, right in the heart of Baltimore, yet African-American churches hold property and influence. Mm-hmm. And so it's about how do we translate that influence into impact? Um, and I, I really do believe that it's not for a lack of vision, it's, a lo- it's for a lack of know-how. Um, and it has. we have to say as, as churches, and I'm speaking to any pastor out there as well, um, we have to be able to say, you know what, we're not waiting for uh, you know the next development corporation to find a, a a one spot within our community and do a affordable housing. We are actually going to be the driver for collective impact and pull in the necessary resources so that those who come into our communities will actually follow and align with our vision and not you know have one kind of one off impact. I think that that's the story of inner city communities. You have uh, great initiatives, but they are all often singular. I think the church has the opportunity to do holistic re- redevelopment and and programs like this help you to begin to see how to put the the pieces around it in order to do that. I, I was thinking, I mean, do we think that that can actually what what do we what do you think the ultimate power is of and I'm going to say again the black church in Baltimore in terms of changing the dynamic in the city. I was thinking I don't know if he was ever part of your program but he's been a guest on the show numerous times and I've had a lot of conversations with Melda Harris let's say on the on the in Sandtown mm-hmm. and what his church has done on Pennsylvania Avenue and the kind of changes they've tried to make there. Mm-hmm. But again it just seems you know so what, what, I mean how do you how do you harness that power? So, I mean, I think, so churches have the infrastructure and they have some uh, talent, but I think, you know, to echo what Pastor Franklin said, it's the connectivity to um, to, the, to the city folks that they need to be connected to. For example, we had uh, Wendy Redfern, who is the acting uh, deputy commissioner for land resources, come in and speak to our students um, for both years that we've, that we've done the class. Their understanding that, that she's there, that she's accessible, you know, what are the steps that they need to take? How do they use their influence? You know, there's a lot of, you know, unfocused or not not completely focused um, talent and resources in black churches. So I think, you know, shaping that, helping them to focus, and then also not wasting the resources. Um, we had a, um, a church last year that spent tens of thousands of dollars on a parking lot 
that they shouldn't have. And if they had gone through the class before that, they wouldn't have. And they would have what saved would they have done instead, do you think? With, well, that kind of, with that money, what does that? What do you mean? Well, they would have a not um, not paved it over, and then thereby in- encouraged stormwater management costs. They would have done it differently. Um, they would have maybe thought about how to use that large plot of land, not just as a surface lot, but um, as parking, and with the deck on top. Um, they would have been connected to financial resources to help them figure that out. So just just really um, being able to really properly leverage those resources and really connect to. Um, to the vision of partners and to access partners, city partners. So, I mean, I was thinking about, well, let me open the phones here, then I'll come back to the, some mm-hmm. questions I have. At 410-319-8888. Uh, Carla, you're on the air. Welcome. Hi, good afternoon. How, good morning. How are you today? Very well. Good morning, Carla. I'm going to miss you on the air, Mark. But I just wanted mm-hmm. to say, one of the faith-based organizations that I noticed, although they have a lot of other issues, that has done some really good things concerning affordable housing is is the Bond Support Baltimore Health System mm-hmm. through their Bond Support Community Development Initiatives. Yes, they've rebuilt a lot of homes and made you know some of the older um um row homes on West Baltimore along West Baltimore Street and Fulton Avenue. They've also converted a number of um, entities into senior housing as well as partner with some of the faith-based organ- other faith-based organizations to create house- affordable housing for a number of people in the city of Baltimore. So that's a positive. Um, what I'm wondering if the University of Baltimore Project is kind of looking at them in terms of their development wing, in terms of how that can help other faith-based organizations to to leverage their resources and to make a positive change in the city, and I'll take your answer off there. That's the really good question. I have a couple of thoughts about that on, on uh, to tail end of that as well, Carl, but let me let the uh, guests kind of comment first. Lisa? So George Klebb, Bon Secours Unity, um, which is the development arm of Bon Secours um, that you mentioned, first they've been a partner of Enterprise Community Partners for many years and, and, a, and a proud partner, but uh, George came in and was a guest speaker. He partnered with Wayland Baptist Church, um, who... Um, developed the Wayland Village Senior, and they were in the first cohort that we uh, graduated last year. And we've also uh, done tours of Wayland Village Senior um, uh, projects. So you know, we're we're happy to have them in the family. David, you want to respond to that? So you know, I I think that it's important to have organizations who do this kind of work. And and I, I was floored by the presentation from um, Unity Health. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say this though, um, you know, I think that there is important if we're actually looking to actually break cycles of poverty, right? So we're generations of economic instability, generations of challenge with education, generations of poor health um, or access to quality uh, food, that that kind of thing. If we're looking to actually change that narrative, the first thing that we have to establish is that. It is a holistic approach that is needed. So in as much as affordable housing helps, it it will only do a portion of the work. It has to be affordable housing or mixed income housing. And then the, the next stage has to be education. Then you, in addition to that, you have to provide some health and wellness. And then, and I believe um, uh, 
New Song Church learned this very well, you actually have to have economic opportunity within the community. Because what happens is, is if you provide this, uh, you know, nice education and, you know, quality food and all that kind of stuff, eventually people will leave that community and that community then becomes blighted all over again. So you've got to have the four part or four pronged approach that, that is holistic if you're actually going to break cycles of poverty over the long term. Uh, one, one off, all it does is it allows you to have a nice looking building in a, a community that is blighted all around it. Well, let me see, ask, ask this is a question, very pointed questions about this. And like, please jump in as well. I mean, your thoughts, because in, in, in terms of how you know, public policy and more fits into this. This takes examples. I mean, one of the things I was, you know, an article just recently in The Sun that talked about 150,000 cases that go to rent court every year. 7,000 people are evicted in the city every year. Um, and uh, that's real. And those 7,000 evictions can be multiplied four and five times in terms of the amount of people that they affect and children, that, uh, how it affects children in our schools because they have some stability and they're pushed out from one home to the other. And that's very real. So, you know, one of the one of the things that people talked about is the, is a, is is um, uh, the issue of cooperative housing in the city, and the role of the churches and public dollars, especially especially money um, that can be put out by referendum. Um, that instead of always kind of getting the public dollars that end up building certain developments in, as <laughs> as, as uh, Lawrence, Dr. Lawrence Brown puts it on the show mm-hmm. last week, just it goes down to the white L that also goes out to the black butterfly that <laughs> that uh, in, in the rest of this community that that, um, that that develops something and the roles that churches can play in that. You know, because it's more, it seems to me, than just building homes for seniors or other people. Correct. We're talking about mm-hmm. a role that could actually give people work, have cooperative housing, the people own themselves and run themselves. I mean, that can change the dynamic of a neighborhood. That is correct. And and, and here's the thing, Mark, like if I can just be a preacher for a moment, if you would allow <laughs> me to be moment. just a moment, <laughs> just a moment. Then you're going to give it up? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and, and for anybody listening out there, you, what I'm about to say is is about who we follow, right? So we we are we are believers. If you're a Christian church, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right? And nobody has to believe in Jesus Christ who's listening. But here's what we do know, right? Those of us who believe suggest that he was not only a prophet who had good words. But his his gospel message translated into real visible impact, right? Mm-hmm. So so it is necessary for us to as even as churches, and I'm speaking to all my churches out there, to say, okay, this is not we're not interested in simply preaching about it, but the gospel must become practical in the communities that we live in. It actually must be visible. You ought to be able to drive down Frederick Road, which is not far from my church, and, and say, you know what, because this church is in this community, the this this black butterfly part of the community, it is actually having realized vi- visible impact. But I got to push back a little bit, Mark, just a little bit. Push on. And <laughs> <laughs> that is, you know, I know that it is important for there to, you know, for us to push the political agenda, ensure that, you know, things get on the ballot. And, you know, that that is one way that you can move. Historically, we have found that that movement is very slow mm-hmm. and and often it, it falls far short 
of what is necessary for the community. I think churches have enough influence to bring in both private and nonprofit dollars in order to to pull those those entity entities that are maybe a little bit free to spend freer to spend their resources. The church actually has the influence to pull those organizations together under one clear vision and then make a strong impact in the community. If we continue to wait for for the political engine right. to um, get on our page, we are going to be waiting for another three or four generations. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let me get your thoughts about how you see this acting in terms of economic development in this city when it comes to the churches in this town. So um, the reality is that the nonprofit dollars in this city are only about 13.5% of all the money that flows through the town mm-hmm. in terms of private investment, government money. I mean, it's really... Smaller than people realize. People keep going around the nonprofit industrial complex. They don't put enough money in the black community. There could be. There's a lot of arguments to that reality of that, but it also is that their 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 role is not as big as we think it is, hmm. and so or significant sometimes as we think it is. I think, um, and I think it has more to do with the fact about who's not getting the money that deserve it, doing serious work in community than others. But that's another discussion, right? Uh, a different discussion. So the question is, let's just say. Economic development. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you all think that that churches can actually leverage that? Let's say we talk about food deserts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I know the Reverend Heber Brown is talking about building um, food sustainability and food and, and, and freedom through farms being built in in the black community. But what about the idea that a black church can invest with maybe a private company to open a supermarket mm-hmm. in a community that gives jobs and provides food? How realistic is that? What do you all think? I think it's perfectly realistic. I think there's an opportunity to leverage the assets that the churches have because they have a vision for what needs to be done in the community. They're connected to the community, and they know how to bring assets together to do that. And a program like this provides the technical skills to make that happen, but there's no lack of vision. There's no lack of passion. There's no lack of, of ideas, and I think that there's a real possibility for doing something like that, and it's really a matter of and putting those good ideas together with the appropriate training to help get the assets connected. I think the other um, key is partnership, right? Because the primary you know, mission of the church is to minister to their flock, also outreach, but ministering to their flock. So you don't want to be all things to all people. I think it is really key, uh, especially in this program, that the um, participants have a, a project that they're focused in on, and we want to help them bring that to fruition, be it a community facility, be it housing, be it, you know, daycare center, whatever it is, and they want to focus in on that. I think one of the one of the dangers of being a, a strong uh, leader and having all of um, these resources at, at, your, at your grasp is that there's a temptation to be all things, all people. Um, we want to have churches be good anchors, but we also want them not to spread themselves too thin, to look for partnerships, people that they can connect with. Um, you know, we have a, a lot of educational institutions in this town. We have hospitals. We have a lot of folks that they can partner with. So we, we open that up in the class as well. How can you partner with other folks to execute on your vision? Sure. And and, and I, I would agree with that. Again, the term that I used earlier is is um, is not a term I just pulled out of the hat. It's a actual community Co- development mm-hmm. term, collective impact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's approach to deal with the systemic ills in any community and and if the church which generally has a good pulse 
on its community, a good has is a good finger on, on on what's happening in its community, can say to partners who have already been working in that community as well, hey, let's let's see if we can come together and leverage these resources for greater impact. I think that that is where the church is best served. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there is an anchor project, but then beyond that anchor project, the church is helping to galvanize the existing assets to make a greater impact. Mm-hmm. So. Before we take a break here on an ID break, I mean, I think that that that's the, this is stuff to me that really kind of interests interests me about where we can go. I mean, I was thinking about the the Abel Foundation for one. Let's throw that out there for just for a moment. I mean, um, if you've had your blood drawn in this city mm-hmm. by an African American phlebotomist, the chances are their tuition was paid by the Abel Foundation. Mm-hmm. People don't mm-hmm. talk about that, don't know that, right? Mm-hmm. So that that has an economic impact on the city and on the lives of black people in the city. So the question is, again, this is what I'm talking about economic development in churches and what can be done, right? I mean, where, where you can leverage the power to create worlds that can actually build jobs for people. Maybe that is part of what has to happen. Maybe churches have to become, in some senses, I hate the word entrepreneurial because it's so overused and abused as a term, I think. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> But for one of a better term at the moment. <laughs> sure, sure. Right. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I absolutely, I believe that churches need to become more entrepreneurial. I, I think that in many ways uh, the, the black church has been entrepreneurial. Um, just maybe the focus could be um, redirected in some ways. Um, you know, we, we have uh, been able to leverage, you know, pastoral brands, if I can use that, um, to be national entities, you know, um, across the, you know, across our country. If we can translate that into saying, okay, not just the pastor becomes a brand, but the, but the work of the church in the community becomes the highlight of what that church is known for, then I think that that begins to change the narrative. We're going to take a really short break. We're going to come right back. I do want to hear your ideas at 410-319-8888. You can also email us here at talk at steinershow.org. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. I want to hear you. Let's really think outside the box. I also hate that term. That gets old as well. But think Super about what, <laughs> but I'm using a lot of terms I don't like right now. But, but, but think about where you think the ch- what the church, churches can do in this town all churches to change the economic dynamics of people in Baltimore, what would they be? What would you think? What would you s- submit to your church? We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Uh, last month, I had the pleasure of... Uh, being the host for a certificate program, the Baltimore Faith-Based Development Program at the University of Baltimore uh, between the Enterprise Community Partners and the Schaefer Center for Public Policy at the University of Baltimore, uh, where different churches, ministers come in to kind of learn economic development and how best to utilize the dollars and power that they have to revitalize communities that they're in. We're here with the Reverend David B. Franklin from the, from the Miracle City Church, where he's pastor, who went through the program last year and was one of the keynotes uh, at that event. Ann Cotton is director of the Schaefer Center for Public Policy, where this all takes place. Uh, Lisa Hodges is program instruction principal at Hodges Development, LLC, and was just named director of the School Centered Neighborhood Investment Initiative, and you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. 
Write to us here at talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. Do want to hear your ideas about where you think the church needs to go. Y'all complain a lot in this program about the church. So let's, <laughs> let's throw it out here. 410-319-8888. Uh, and your ideas about many, most of, many of you who listen to this program are also churchgoers uh, and business people in this city. 410-319-8888. So I threw something out during the break about... Um, seeing this uh, empty building at the corner of Liberty Heights and Garrison that said that this goes underutilized. My, when I was at a community meeting about violence and crime that took place in Forest Park, but it took place at the School 64 at Liberty Heights and Garrison. And I started thinking about that building. The first thing I posited there was supposing you just put a state office building there as opposed to putting it someplace else, how that would change the dynamic of a neighborhood by putting in places like to actually bring life back to the community in that way is very positive. And I was questioning, could churches also invest in places like that to build? And your response was, Lisa? Yeah, yeah. I think the key is, you know, not what could we put there, but what could we sustainably put there? How can we um, let churches and their leadership understand, you know, concepts like feasibility? If you bring, for example, if we move the Department of Housing from that from 417 East Fayette out to Liberty and Garrison. What are the ancillary services they would need? Um, wh- how does the transportation look like? Um, you know, what what do they do coming in? Are there coffee shops? Are there? How do we do a community plan that's sustainable and healthy, and have the church be at the at the epicenter of that plan? Um, so I think that's kind of a, a larger question. We need to empower the churches to be able to see that vision understand the feasibility, and pull in the partners to execute on that when they see an opportunity. And I think that what you just said here made me think of something. I mean, that, that the idea that if this word government can be utilized in some ways, I think, as well, which is the mm-hmm. idea that if you actually stop putting all the government buildings in one place, but put them out in communities like Liberty Heights and Garrison and Forest Park, and you think about restaurants, you think about people who have to work in that building, you think about the ancillary services and businesses that can be built. Those are the kind of things that churches can get in the middle of to help develop in that community that actually lead to jobs and stability as opposed to people fleeing. There's no, there's no question that that would be of benefit, and you know, I, I'd be the first to champion uh, government offices spreading across the city. So, you know, whatever uh, government officials may be listening, Miracle City is ready for you to come to our part of the city. Um, in, in addition to that, again, I just, you know, I don't want to beat a, a dead horse, but I, 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 I feel like, you know, in addition to that, you know, churches again have a unique opportunity because we are talking to our people every single week. Mm-hmm. Um, not only are we talking to our people, but a lot of pastors are talking to each other. So there is a a conversation that is continual, or there's a dialogue that we're continually engaged in, and and I think that that dialogue has to move beyond saying, "Hey, government officials, do right by these communities." I think they're not they're, we're not anti-government. We're in we're in we want to be in relationship with the government. We want to work alongside them in addition to what the government does I think the church has to be able to say okay uh, and I'm, I'm not just shooting here there are organizations lift Orlando Oma, uh, 75 North I could go down the list East Lake community in Atlanta Georgia they have all worked with along with the government but then as an individual entity those ch- well not always a church but a nonprofit organization has come along and said hey we want to ensure that this half a mile radius this mile radius actually has everything it needs to succeed and that organization be kind of became the the coalescer of energy the coalescer 
of, of resources to push it forward. And government was part of that, but it was only one uh, uh, component to the overall uh, group of folks who were able to impact that community. So I'm, I'm with the government. Uh, uh, Mayor Pugh, let's let's do a building in, 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 in southwest Baltimore. We're ready for it. Uh, in addition to that, I think churches have some unique power that we do not have to wait for the government to get on board with. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Ann. I think there's really a good opportunity here for some community-based strategic planning and community-based visioning. When you bring all these organizations together, there's a there's a good opportunity to leverage what you know in the community and actually help put this type of plan together and bring in the assets that the government has to bear and also bring in what the communities know and what the faith organizations know about what is needed. I think they do have a unique position to really understand what's needed in the community and what can make a big difference in the community. And it's not up to a planner to come and plan for you. It's really for you to communicate to a planner, what's our vision for what the community can be and how can we actually turn this into a reality and what are the pieces that are missing? Because you have a lot of pieces in place and with programs like this, you can actually build out those pieces so they they bloom and then you can fill in with the assets that the government has. And I think there's a really good opportunity as we build this program out and get a network of churches that have been through the program, we really can make a big difference, I think. Yeah, I mean, now, now you have a group of churches all across the city that have the same information, understand how to leverage their existing assets, and then make an impact in the community. I, I, I 100% agree. You know, as a church, Miracle City Church, we, we launched out this 100,000 Touches campaign in 2016 and actually exceeded that goal by uh, eight months. Eight months into it, we had touched 127, 569, I believe our number was. And Touches for us was just actually making contact with individuals and trying to provide services to them. Um, in in addition in addition to that though what we learned was what we learned was that being out there creating the relationships gave us a better understanding of the actual needs mm-hmm. and then how to involve the community in in providing the solution to those needs mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's another important point for our churches in as much as we speak to a hundred two hundred a thousand people um, every week beyond the people that come through our doors there are people ten thousand people right in our community and actually being engaged and in relationship with them actually allows us to understand more more concretely what the needs are and then it says to that that community hey we're just not here to preach to you but we actually want to see this community uh, um, improved, and I, and I think that 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 has to translate. I think maybe some of the reasons why Mark, you get folks who are calling in complaining about the black church, is because in many ways the black black individuals, as you talked about, middle class folks have moved out of the city, mm-hmm. so they drive in for worship and then they leave and go back to where whatever suburb they're part of. And so I think that there's a need to be able to say, listen, okay, we're talking to the people who come through our doors, but the black church has to be out in the community, building those relationships, building the capacity, and then helping the community learn how they can help themselves. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Let the church say amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's about outreach as much as inreach. Um, and there's so, so much untapped potential. Uh, Pastor Hickman on the east side has been mm-hmm. working with Ayer St. Gross, um, an architectural firm on community and neighborhood planning. And I think the fact that he's coming from a mission um, and God-centered space allows him to 
you know, listen more to the community um, rather than just be self-interested. So I think churches have a unique role in community planning and being able to have the patience because they've been in the community for decades, in some cases hundreds of years. And so they can really take that kind of patient view of, you know, we can see where this community is going to be. We've been here. We will be here. And they've got a certain credibility that other institutions may not have. So with the community. So, obviously, about this program that, that the University of Baltimore, are we putting too much on the church's back? Mm. <laughs> you know, I, again, it's 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 having them uh, be able to you know do that kind of I call it an organizational assessment. You know what you know they they hated <laughs> they didn't like this part <laughs> of the class, but like what are my strengths and what do I have to outsource, right? And be very realistic about that. Um, so we help them kind of sharpen that focus and really look at what is the mission of of our church. What does the leadership really want to do? Do they want to do housing? Do they want to do community facility? Do they want to think through a partnership? with a for-profit to do economic development, job creation, service delivery. That's part of what they'll, you know, the process that they'll go through. We want to help them to sharpen that so that, again, they're not trying to be all things to all people, but really based on their mission, what what is the project that most speaks to them and that's most feasible and sustainable over time? I agree 100%, <laughs> but, <laughs> right, that, that, that negates everything. Right, um, um, for us... We are motivated and fueled by the gospel. Mm -hmm. The gospel was transformative to communities. Mm -hmm. So as a pastor, you may not be able to say this, but I'm going to I'm going to say it that that I think churches have to. It's not an, I don't feel like it's an option. I think churches have to say, mm -hmm. you know what? Yes, this is the one area that we're going to focus on, but we understand all of the needs mm -hmm. and we're part of a larger mm -hmm. that is actually trying to address all the needs because the gospel was meant to be practical. It was meant mm -hmm. to be visible. It was to be rehearsed mm -hmm. and not practiced and not lived. So yes, I'm with it 100%. Let's get your your passion point and let's do that well, but that has to be in in tandem them mm -hmm. with other organizations or other churches that are that are dealing with those other systemic ills. Agreed. So too much passion on a Mark Steiner show. <laughs> <laughs> never, never too much passion on Mark Steiner show. That's, that's what it, it breathes passion. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope it breathes and exudes some passion too. I hope. Mm -hmm. um, no, because I, I so, so I'm curious. Let me take a step backwards for a moment. I'm just curious when this program started. Why? I mean, what do you expect out of this? From the perspective of the center and the University of Baltimore, we thought it was a great opportunity to help have additional impact because the churches in the city are going to go out and try to do things anyway. They're going to try to improve their communities. And what a better way to help them than give them tools to do a much better job and to inform them so they're not making parking lots when they should be <laughs> making investment. And from my perspective, and it's what the university does. We try to, to make the city a better place. And this is a great way to do that. Yeah, I think scaling um, was was a key component of why we started the program. And um, when I started consulting with Enterprise a few years ago, I was doing technical assistance for a few pastors on a few projects. And I saw, again, it's the same issues over and over again. How do I choose an accounting professional? Where do I start with legal services? Where do I start with how to, you know, talk to my board about these expenditures? How do I deal with the fact that as a church, we are loath to take on debt? How do I how do I build up the momentum for this? And um, those questions can be answered really 
I think, best in a group setting. Um, they have support of other students. They're hearing uh, back uh, and forth with each other that they're having the same issues, and they're developing a camaraderie that really ha- – exists outside of the class. Um, So because of scale um, and and really wanting to reach a a large group at a time and have that that collective impact, that was why we, we thought a cohort would be good. I mean, Ken, I was thinking about, again, I was going back to what I've seen some churches do some places, houses of worship do, and then mostly, the, most of it has to, is built around housing, from what I've seen, right? Mm-hmm. Or things like the Jubilee Arts Center that was mm-hmm. built in Pennsylvania Avenue or th- things like that. So can, should churches be involved in business? Sure. I mean, you know, job creation, you know, obviously unemployment is is, is really high in neighborhoods surrounding most of our churches. A lot of our churches were, are located um, from the cohort in West Baltimore. We have uh, Church of Nazarene in East Baltimore. These are communities uh, that are vulnerable, um, high rates of unemployment. Um, you know, one of the things I want, I think we want to incorporate next year is having um, the Baltimore Neighborhood Indicators Alliance come through and do a snapshot, demographic snap, snapshot of the neighborhoods of each of our, our participants participants so they can really kind of dig into that. Um, but these are communities of need. So if job creation is something they can do, if partnering with a local business to expand the number of employees um, is, is available, if training folks to in property management and um, you know getting them certified in property management is something they can do and really exponentially increase the dollars coming into their um, to their community and their churches, I think it's a great thing. But again, you know, we just want to make sure they have the tools to do it well and sustainably. Why wouldn't you want churches involved in business? You're asking me the question now. <laughs> Switch it up. <laughs> I watch me have preachers on the show. They might do this too. <laughs> no, I think that, that why should, I'm not saying they shouldn't be involved. The question is um, a couple of things. I mean, A, uh, you, one of the things churches are loath to do, as you said earlier, is debt. Yeah. Right? Uh, do churches have the wherewithal to know how to run a business? And what that means to run a business and, or to do a partnership with a business. Um, there are groups in town like um, that are really working on trying to create black worker-owned businesses like of, of all kinds, mm-hmm. right? Creating different models that aren't just an individual saying, I own this and everybody works for me. So, I mean, I'm not saying church should not be, but I think the question is, how do they do that? Um, how do they do that and remain true to their mission? Do they then become an employee that has to fire their own parishioners? <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, right. yeah. That has happened. Uh, but churches but, employ people anyway. You have the sections that do, that take care of the church. <laughs> um, you know, my home church, Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, we own two right. buildings, um, Senior Center, Bellevue Manchester and Walker Daniels. So that's not anything new. And as long as you do it in love, um, you know, you, you can manage employees. Um, you know, also Reverend Sullivan's church in uh, Philadelphia, you know, very famous for the having created the Sullivan Principles. They own grocery store, housing, mm-hmm. you know, just a massive, um, you know, economic development undertaking. But again, you know, it's just really providing the foundation and the resources, you know, as the pastor would say, in Christ, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. And you know, you do have you have many examples like w- what Lisa mentioned, as well as the Lavin um, Landvale Church in um, Chicago. You've got Floyd Flakes Church, mm-hmm. who's done who's done work over the years. So there are there are many examples where churches have found 
um, the um, the clarity to organize themselves within a community development uh, corporation that's mm-hmm. an arm of the church, and then that corporation begins to run these auxiliary ministries or businesses um, that actually benefit the community. So there's there's a there are ways to get it done. I really do believe it is about first of all having that, that clear vision, and then second of all uh, coming having partners come alongside mm-hmm. you help, help to help you provide the perf- uh, capacity for it. So I'm curious, let me take a step backwards for just a moment. So talk about the two things you just mentioned. You mentioned, uh, how do they work? You, you mentioned, you had, you both gave examples of churches that are actually doing economic development that are not in Baltimore necessarily. So Reverend Sullivan's church in Philadelphia, name of the actual church escapes me, I'll look it up. Um, I'll look it up. Um, the way that uh, Reverend Sullivan started was by selling shares in a corporation. Um, and based on, and I think it was something like, it was you, he only allowed like $5 investment at a time because he wanted it to be um, impactful and really get the volume of numbers. And I think he exceeded his goal, um, you know, really, um, really quickly because people were really into the idea of ownership, but having their dollars work um, that are mission oriented. Today we call it, you know, um, you know, social um, impact, right? Social capital and social impact investing. Um, so to take that notion, um, and there are there are folks in in neighborhoods around these churches who have offered to they want to invest in some of these housing projects. You know, I was on the board of uh, Holy Nativity St. John CDC located at um, Park High and uh, Cold Spring. We had folks who were around uh, the community center that the you know with the head start who wanted to invest, you know, up to it, we had folks offering $10,000 they wanted to invest in, you know, whatever the next venture was. So there are folks who um, you can follow that model, Reverend Sullivan's model um, of you know selling shares in a company and then you know kind of managing that investment like you would any other company. What you know, there's a limited return in mission-oriented uh, companies usually, but um, certainly you know that's a model. Yeah, I was just looking it up. I, mean, I, I mm-hmm. did know about this. I've forgotten all mm-hmm. about it. The Reverend Leon Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct. Who just recently who passed away? Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is an organization he began in the 1960s that kind of ex- grew and expanded mm-hmm. throughout. Is, is that Indeed. possible here? I think absolutely. We have enough um, folks who are concerned uh, in the community, folks who have capacity in the community. Um, you know, there are there are people in the business community that I believe are willing to partner with churches. They just need a connector and they need the know-how. And they need to also know that um, there's going to be a safe space to kind of operate, that, that people are going to be coming to a transaction or to a partnership with um, at least some some you know, equal understanding of the business transaction. So part of what this program does is brings uh, our participants along in understanding those concepts so that they can be good partners and they really can take advantage of linking up to uh, business partners in the in the community. Do you want to add to that? Um, so can it happen in Baltimore was your question? Yeah, yeah I mean. Because you're, you're, you're a young minister. <laughs> you are, I mean, right? I am, yes. And so <laughs> coming, that, that, I mean, coming into the city uh, in a church on the west side of town, I mean. Yeah, I, listen, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe it was possible. Um, and, again, the program has helped us get a better understanding of how it is possible. Um, you know, uh, 
so I, I think in addition to so I'm I am an outsider. I'm from California originally, Bay Area, right? Grew up in um any, anywhere between Oakland and and Richmond and Berkeley and everything in between. Um, and so when I pastored in Oakland, actually, it was we were in a radius called the Five Mile Killing Radius. Okay, mm. it was the, called the Killing Zone rather. Mm. Um, and so you know, pastors marched and we prayed and we we did all of that and 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 that's good. Um, I. Uh, what what we where we often fail though is kind of the stutter start right like we start and we kind of don't kind of follow through so um, the organization that I mentioned was the uh, Landvale uh, Development Corporation right. in Chicago um, and they have done it um, they they have a full holistic approach and I, I've, you've heard me mention this multiple times and if nobody hears anything else I say you know that's how you finish <laughs> your sermon approach, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's, it's got to be a holistic approach. And I know you can't be all things to all people, but you got to figure out a way where you can bring everybody together to do that. But they have done it well. Um, and and they are making inroads in the community to change it. I think New Song had uh, New Song Community Church had a similar mm-hmm. model that happened right here in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were we've served with them um, to some degree, and and you know one of their statements is uh, I talk with uh, 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 the best friend of the founder, and he said you know the thing that we missed, the component we missed was economic development. Mm-hmm. So I think we've have we have some areas where you know even within the city of Baltimore where things have moved forward. Wayland Baptist Church is another example um, you know they have started their uh, Wayland 2 already mm-hmm. which is an affordable housing complex that was supported by enterprise community partners so they started the journey but I think that the journey must continue beyond the singular project is mm-hmm. it possible in Baltimore yes I think it's already happening can we take it further yes I do believe we can take it further it takes collective impact mm-hmm. so I'm curious where do you think you'd be fixing all this uh, where, where do you see this growing and going Well, I think UB fits in the area of training and education, obviously. That's what we do. And what we do is provide capacity for people to fulfill their dreams. And in this case, through this program, we're helping provide the training that the churches need to really take advantage of the opportunities they have. But through our nonprofit master's degree program, our master's public administration program, our real estate development program, our business school, we offer lots of different opportunities for residents in Baltimore to get the training and the skills they need to have an impact. There's not a lack of vision here in the city, but people need skills if they want to be successful. I think you know you you've challenged us on this whole economic development question. You've really pushed us, and I'm I'm think I'm sitting here. I'm thinking you know maybe there's a way you know now that we have two uh, graduating classes already to have a conversation with the GBC or and mm-hmm. other business leaders to think through. Is there a way to 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 start that conversation about part about partnering to think about you know we you know each one of our participants does a demographic and feasibility study for their project mm-hmm. so they know you know on the ground what the needs are, what the economic needs what the retail needs are, what the job needs are. Um, is there a way to, you know, get them connected with a mentor in the business community? Is there mm-hmm. a way to, um, you know, kind of think through and big picture writ large, you know, how to use them as ground zero to um, to create opportunities for their parishioners and folks around the community? So I think that would be the next uh, place to go. I mean, and that's th- a conversation we can convene. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I think mm-hmm. that in this town, one of the things I've discovered in this show in the last, especially the last nine years, in this program here at WEAA is that there is a youthful energy and vigor among in the city that hasn't existed before. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in things like young business people like 
Tibo Mannequin, who's taken over from his fathers and mm -hmm. creating these kind of projects around the city that actually are changing the face of communities, or whether it's the young city council people who've just been elected, who are in their 20s and 30s, who see the face, the, you see the face of power changing, and they really have a different vision where the city could go. Or you, David Franklin, all the other young ministers in town, Heber Brown, who's been a guest on the show numerous times, other people who are kind of coming in and saying there's a different vision, and there's, there's a, that, that, the youthful energy, the, the youthful voice, the younger voices coming in to take over this conversation mm -hmm. is, where the, is where the change lives, I think. To be able to kind of pull those together somehow in the city to begin to talk together and figure out just how to do that is, is where the power of the future lies to kind of really change the nature of this city. And I think they want to be thoughtful about it. I mean, Councilmember Bullock, who's who's new, um, is convening the Affordable Housing Task Force. So when when that kind of gets up and running, I think there is a great opportunity to involve faith-based institutions, houses of worship, in that conversation, and really look at them as you know real anchors and partners. Um, and I echo that. Yeah, I think that I think that's a, there is a real kind of hope and energy here that I that I not. Uh, that I haven't felt in a long time, actually. I mean, as you can think of all the negative aspects of what's happening in Baltimore, but then you've got to kind of weigh in and pull in the, the, the positive energy that's happening in this town that can actually change it. We've spent so much time going, the murder rate is so high, the assault rate is high, the, the, the amount of poverty is miserable, and the things that, that that should excite and motivate us to know that we can take hold of that and change it. Well, right? I, I absolutely. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe it. Right. You know, and 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 I think that there's a lot, as you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, guys who are out here who believe the same way, and it's uh, it's uh, we we probably need to do more talking to each other and involving the business community in that dialogue. That's crucial. So um, I'm out of the program, but when you bring the business leaders, oh, you're back. never out of the program. <laughs> it's like the mafia. Once you're in, you're in. <laughs> 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 I thought I was out. And they, they yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Uh, first, let me say, thank uh, Ann Cotton. For, uh, Again, for inviting me to come in and uh, and MC that wonderful certificate program, I've learned a lot, and it was good to be introduced to that. And Dr. Ann Cotton is director of the Shaver Center for Public Policy, where this uh, Baltimore faith-based development certificate program takes place. Good to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. And Lisa Hodges, a program instructor and principal at Hodges Development LLC, and is now recently named director of the School Centered Neighborhood Investment Initiative, which we need to learn more about. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Mark. This has been good. And it's great to meet you, the Reverend David Franklin, uh, the pastor of the Miracle City Church, uh, who gave one of the keynotes. Good good to have you in the studio. It's great to be here. Uh, thanks thanks for inciting the passion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad our paths have crossed. This is great. Yeah. This is great. So, folks, we have a lot more coming up this week, so please stay tuned and be part of our show here at WEAA. There's a lot going on. Uh, and we have city council people coming in soon. The next, I think it's tomorrow, where we will be um, uh, wrestling with a number of issues for two hours with city council representatives. Your chance to weigh in with them, everything from economic development to uh, water bills and what uh, Mayor Pat Clark is trying to do to alleviate people, people in their homes to the question whether you should be giving mandatory minimum sentences to people who carry guns, all that coming up tomorrow. So you want to be part of that discussion and weigh in. So thank you all for being part of the program today. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our producer is Imani Spence. Uh, our associate producer is Calvin Perry. Our editing producer is Ali Post. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. 
Please send me your thoughts about today's program to talkastinershow.org. And the podcast of Mark Steiner's show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. Thank you.